And so please grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. Where personally, you know, I go through the Gospels and you see the heart of Christ and the way he responds to the broken, the helpless. This is one of the many, but I believe it's what God has for us today. I'm confident in that. I'm going to start with verse 1. It reads, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which was called, in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus would say to that man, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, is this the Sabbath? Is it not lawful for you to carry your bed? And he answered, he who was made well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being there in that place. Yet afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more. At least a worse thing come upon you. Then the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Jesus, we believe you can make us well. And Father, as you preserved your word for us, 
specifically this text today, we ask that you would make it come alive, Lord, that it would pierce our heart, mind, and soul, that you would minister, that you would both rebuke and correct and encourage us as your people, as your children. We submit to your authority. We submit to your word. We submit Holy Spirit to you. We say collectively, as a body of believers, have your way with us. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 For many years, the site of this pool was lost. It had been covered up with debris over the centuries. But about 40 years ago, it was discovered. I had the blessing about 15 years ago to go to this pool. I remember it. Nearby was, um, I believe it's St. Anne's uh, Church where it's just amazing acoustics inside. I remember being in there and and the team that I was with, we were there for about two months, my wife and I ministering to uh, Russian immigrants. And we found ourselves in this church uh, singing, I think it was a Crystal Lewis song to give you an idea how long ago it was. I remember walking out of that church and going to this pool and looking at this text and just bewildered at how amazing, how powerful our King of Kings is. It's located just north of the Temple Mount, near what is now called Stephen's Gate, if you're familiar with Jerusalem, which in fact is the site that is mentioned here, the Sheep Gate. And these porches, they sat at various levels around the pool. During that time, it was the habit of gathering together on the feast days, hoping for a healing, a miracle. And depending on what version of Bible you have, you may have noted that verse 4 is missing. Some have included in the footnote, and it explains why the people were there. They believed in a rather superstitious way that from time to time, when the water was troubled, when the water would rise rapidly and then decrease, they believed it was caused by an angel that would stir it up, trouble up the water, and whoever was able to get into the pool first would be healed. The pool of Bethesda. In Hebrew, it's the house of mercy. And that pool, like many other pools in Jerusalem, was a spring. And at times, water would be released from reservoirs surrounding Jerusalem, causing the spring to rise up sometimes and then to decrease. It's probably what caused the superstition. They thought an angel was stirring up the water. And so this pool had become a place where people would go to be healed. 
particularly this man. We read in verse 5, a man of infirmity for 38 years. He was weak and feeble, unable to walk, unable to stand, probably from some disease. We don't know. It doesn't say in any event the disease made him unable to walk for 38 years. And then on the scene, we see a crowd of people paralyzed, blind, lame, sick, all waiting for the water to be troubled. And out of the crowd, our Savior picks this lone man. We see here God dealing with human helplessness and weakness. It's probably what caused Jesus to be drawn to this man was his helplessness. And John goes on to say what Jesus did. Jesus saw him and knew. Knew that he had been laying there for a long time. And Jesus says to him, Do you want to be healed? Rather strange question to ask a man who was infirmity for 38 years. Do you want to be healed? But make no mistake, Jesus does not ask frivolous questions. It was obviously an important question to the man Do I want to be healed? As strange and as interesting we find that question, I would say, uh, being a pastor for 17 years, I've seen people gather at the house of mercy, the church, for many years. Spiritually sick and lame. And for a multitude of reasons. Wondering if they had asked, do I want to be healed Perhaps they haven't reached the place of this man, not hopeless enough, not ready to give up on human efforts. We're so caught up in wanting to solve our own problems. We're not ready to admit that we can't do it on our own. Still determined to get her done, still determined to be able to fix what is broken. Because ultimately, to identify with this man, it takes a great level of humility. To identify with this man takes a great level of humility. And yet, indeed, I believe there are some here this morning already, you identify with this man. And the Lord would say to you, through this text, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Notice the answer of the man. Verse 7. The man says, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. 
And while I'm going, another steps down before me. In other words, yes, I want to be healed, but I cannot. I've tried. I've done everything that I know what to do. But I don't know how to get into the water. I want to be healed, but I lack the ability. No one will help me. I've given up. I've lost hope. I believe this morning there are many who have that same viewpoint. Resign themselves to being weak, failing, troubled. And the issues vary. Maybe it's drugs you've tried to stop and you discovered you're actually hooked. This habit that you've begun, an innocent experimentation, has a great hold on you. Maybe you've given up on wrestling with the inner problem of lust and pornography. You find yourself paralyzed in front of the computer. Many marriages have lost hope, thrown in the towel, just lost that loving feeling. You've bought in books, you've read them, but your spouse won't read them, it makes you bitter. You avoid people who would hold you accountable. Many people like that today here, marriages in shambles, feeling hopeless. Many people right here, like this man, that sense of hopelessness, helplessness, no hope to see change. And that brings us to this critical moment of the story. What Jesus says to this man who had lost all hope, a man who had given up, Jesus would say, rise, pick up your bed and walk. Notice the progression. He says, do you want to be healed? Then rise Take up your bed and walk. I believe this morning the Lord would have us apply this progression. Are you willing to be healed? Because if you're willing to yield, you'll find that there is healing. But it takes a great level of humility, right? It takes what, what goes against us. Our self-righteousness and our pride gets in the way. It's what's ruining marriages. It's what's ruining so many people. Maybe your issue is anger, bitterness. Jealousy, gossip, whatever issue, whatever issue is hanging you up. Jesus wants to heal you. 
Are you willing to yield to the call? After responding to the offer of healing, Jesus said to the man, rise, stand. It was in the power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection power allowed this man to stand. It was a collaboration of the power of God and the human humility, faith and action. You find so often in in the New Testament when, when Jesus heals, he says, your faith has made you well. There's a collaboration. It's obviously the power of God that heals, but yet there's a collaboration of yielding and humility, willing. A willingness to surrender. I wonder this morning, will you humble yourself? Will you rise? Will you put your faith into action? In your addiction, in your loneliness, in your greed, whatever you're stuck in. So many people are stuck in bitterness. Not able to get over what was done to you. And what was done to you was so wrong. And it hurts. But bitterness is not the answer. And you know that. And yet you remain in it. Marriages. Man, I, I see so many marriages around us in turmoil and difficulties. Jesus would say, rise. Get up, stand. Pick up your bed and walk. Walk. I love that Jesus said, rise. Pick up your bed and walk. It was... It was faith in action. You see, walking in the victory that has been given us in Jesus Christ is what we've been called to. We've been called to victory and we're to walk in it through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What Jesus did on the cross has paid our debts. So that we're not stuck in them. We've been freed. We've been called to victory. Because he rose on the third day. It has given us the power to walk. Not to be stuck. Romans 8.37 says, Despite all things, overwhelmingly victory is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are called to be more than conquerors. And yet so many of us walk in defeat. It's easy to go down that road of defeat and discouragement, failure and despondency. But friends, when I stand before you and say the promise of God, 
and the power of God is real. I don't say these things because they're good Christian things to say. It's real. The victory that has been given to us, the resurrection is real. And when Jesus says, rise, stand, and walk, it's for real. I've seen marriages just crumble to the point where just, just a mess. Adultery on both sides. Bitterness on both sides. I remember looking at a woman just almost... Just almost with her eyes, she was ready to just unleash a load of wrath on me because I was saying, you must fight for this marriage. And she would just look at me saying, but you don't know what I've gone through. What can I do but offer her the power of God? I share this story with you because that marriage today is healthy. Three children later, their marriage is wonderful, fruitful. They walk in victory. But five years ago, it was in shambles. It was a mess. But they finally got to the point where they were just like... God, here's our mess. People. Our Savior is in the business of cleaning up messes. Can I get an amen? Get a witness. People, you're looking straight up at one. A mess. can be done. We can walk in victory, church. We can walk in victory. It can be done. And and this morning, I just want to look at three components that I I believe will will help us as as a body, individually, to walk in victory, no longer being crippled, no longer giving way to discouragement, being paralyzed. First component is, friends, to walk with our eyes on Jesus. Okay, gee, this is the secret one. This is it. It's so simple. That's what I tell my kids. It's what we need to know as, as adults. How often do we have to remind ourselves to keep our eyes on Jesus? I love what it says in Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy endured the cross despising its shame. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Why wouldn't we look to that? See, 
so often our problems become so big and God becomes so little because our eyes are on our issues. Our eyes are on ourselves. So easily our eyes wander. And yet, we're called to walk looking into the face of Christ. I love that old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and all the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we look into the face of Jesus, our problems become from big to little. Isn't it true in, in marriages when, when you just find yourself at just great odds? It's usually because you're defending yourself or your eyes are on yourself. You want to make that point, like, just got to get that last word in there. Your eyes are either on yourself or they're, they're on the issue or they're on the other party. And they need to be on Jesus. Because when your eyes are on Jesus, you can rightly look at the other party. For those of you who are just stuck in anger and bitterness, but man, you don't know what I've been through. I don't. But he does. And he would say, Look unto me. He's the author. He who begun the work in you. Why wouldn't you look to him who is faithful to complete the work? So often, we get our mitts, our our hands in there, and we want to fix. (laughs) We're the author of messes. (laughs) Look to the author and the creator. Jesus, when he said to Peter, come, and Peter was in that boat and he stepped out on the water, his eyes were on Jesus. He walked on water. I don't know about you, church, but that, that's not a fable. That's real. And when he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we sink. Thanks be to God that in that story, in that truth, though he sank, a hand pulled him back out. In a sense, saying, rise. (laughs) 
Second component that's key to walking in victory is to walk in the power of the Spirit. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Such a key component as we think about walking in victory, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to be reminded of the power that has been given to us. The authority that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul puts it in a wonderful way in the book of Ephesians. Verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what is the will of the Lord. And that is to not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Christians, to walk in the comforts, to walk in the spirit that we might not fulfill the lusts of the flesh is so important. What does that look like? Friends, what it looks like when you're falling into temptation, when you find yourself in a difficult situation, you cry out to the living God. You cry out to the Spirit of God and say, please empower me, pour out, strengthen, give me what is needed. Because we know that the Spirit indeed is willing, but it's the flesh that is weak and we must be willing to yield Because it's a critical point where either in your own efforts you're going to try or you're going to cry out for the Spirit of God to empower you. It's that resurrection power that allows us. Later in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says we're to stand in the power, in the might of God. Walk with your eyes on Jesus. Walk in the power of the Spirit of God. I like this text in the... The book of Acts chapter 9, I got it up here, verse 31. It says of the, the church that throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they had the peace and they were edified and they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And they were fruitful. They multiplied Because this was a body of believers who feared the Lord and who walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It segues us into our next point, and that is to walk in Christian community. To walk in proper accountability. 
You see, the, 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 the early church, not only were they walking in the fear of the Lord, not only were they walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but they were a people who communed together. They ate together. Shawnee said that they prayed together. They ate together. There was great accountability. Real community provides real accountability, which comes from real transparency. Willing to be real with each other. When you have marital issues, instead of dodging, you engage. You know how you isolate yourself? Whether it be bitterness or whatever your issue is. It's so easy to isolate yourself. Right? The Smithenheimers call you and say, hey, let's do dinner. No, 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 let's not. We can't do dinner with them because they always ask, how's your marriage? I hate that because then I got to be like, oh, it's good. But deep down inside, I know it's in just disarray. It's just in shambles. No, don't, no Smithenheimers. You isolate yourself or, or you call up the, the, you know, the so whoever's and like, hey, let's go party with them because they're a mess and, and they don't ask and we don't ask, we don't tell, just, just drink our way, uh, just troubles go away. That works, huh? No. You void. That's why I said community with real transparency that provides real accountability. Real accountability. Met with a man on Friday. He struggled for so long, uh, masturbation and pornography, and he he just shared it openly because he just wanted to be healed. And me studying this text, I'm just, chuck, just, you know, I'm just like, you know, getting a, a little kind of start on him and just throwing it. And, and he's like, man, you, you know, gee, for so many Sundays, I knew God was calling me to be healed. And I would come up and I would go to, for prayer and, and I would go to you. And I would, I would say, pray for my marriage. So I would pray for his marriage. He's all, but it was this issue that I was struggling with. And so somehow in his mind, he thought this was transparency. Okay, I need prayer. I need, I need, I need to get up. I need to go forward and pray. But see how that transparency does not work? It's not real. Now that he's real, and this morning he came to me and said, hey, these last two days have been the best days. It feels like he's been set free. That the weight and the, and the heaviness through sharing and community and doing life with each other, we were able to, to sit there and, and, and pray and ask for the Spirit of God to empower him, to give him the strength to walk in victory. See, now our, our prayer is, is more specific. 
It's not, oh, Lord, help his marriage to be better, I guess. No, friends, we need real transparency. Just kind of see that in the, in the early church as they just shared everything with each other. It's what we want to foster among us. Though we're getting large, we need to remain in a small community of people who are willing to, to be real with each other. Because friends, this can happen today. We can put application today asking to get our eyes, Lord, realign my eyes. Maybe you need to come forward for prayer and just, man, I I need the power of the Spirit. I just feel like I've been doing it on my own. Maybe you've been stuck in bitterness or stuck in whatever it is, uh, just past hurts, current hurts. God would say, rise. Stand. Walk in victory. I mean, already some are just like, but bro, like really, like I'm going to get up with my spouse and go forward. Everyone sees, oh, there goes that troubled marriage that he was talking about. (laughs) See how pride already sets in. No, I can do this right here where I'm at. Instant isolation, instant unwilling to yield. No, this needs to be a safe place. It's a house of mercy, it's a house of God. In a body of believers, looking to do life together, looking to be real with each other. Willing to say, hey, I'm not okay. Willing to look at someone and say, hey, you don't look okay. Hey, don't bug me. No. We're done with those days. Let's be a body of believers who are real, who are willing to commune with each other. Just love seeing friends, brothers, sisters, husband and wives coming and and communing, remembering the power of the cross. Friends, when we come and take communion, we're not just snacking. It's not like, oh, I'm hungry and and there's some grape juice and 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 a cracker up there. That's not the purpose. That's what Esau's and and those other places are for. We come forward to remember the power of the cross. We come forward to remember that his body was broken that would give us insight and this new, new life. The new covenant, which doesn't allow for shame. It doesn't allow for bitterness. It frees us to walk in victory. Grab your spouse today. Come, prayer team. We're, we're, we've been prayed up. We're willing to, to, to just lay hands on people who need to be healed and set free. Come and get on your knees and remember the power of God. You know, we've made application to this text in a a spiritual healing sense. 
but God does physical healing. Church, can I get an amen? amen? How many of you have felt the healing power of God? Say amen. amen. It's a powerful God. He's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forevermore. He's the same God. He's healed you in the past. He's healed you today. You got physical ailments? Come forward. I'm going to pray for you. But understand that that there is a valid application to spiritual healing in this text. As I close, verse 14, after Jesus had found him in the temple, he said, see, you have been healed. And then he says to him, sin no more. Least a worse thing come upon you. We're not going to unpack that today. We don't have that time. Right? My sister's saying, no, go ahead. Okay, listen. Friends, we're not preaching perfection here. There will come a day where we'll be like him. We will be in perfect perfection and glorification. We will fail. We will fail. But will you be willing to rise when you fall? Will you stand And will you march? Will you walk again? Will you get your eyes back on the prize? Will you walk in the comfort of the spirit? Will you call your brother and say, I'm falling into temptation? Because we will fall. But Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, Woe to him who falls alone and has no one to pick him up. Let's be a body of believers who remain humble. Let's be a body of believers who are willing to walk in the victory that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. Church, let's walk together now. Let's put application to this text now. Are you willing to be healed? Then stand. Come forward. Cry out. Be transparent. There's some of you who, who, who are walking in victory. Because if we testify that it can be done, then there's, there's some who are walking in victory. Yeah, you, you've fallen, but, but, but you get back up and you're walking in victory. If that is you, then grab people and pray. Let's be a community. Let's, let's share burdens with each other. Let's lay them all down at the feet of Jesus together. Lord, be glorified in this time as we yield to you, Jesus. We ask that your spirit would come and minister and move amongst us. We are a weak and feeble people, and we need you to come and minister and heal. 
Lord, we pray for marriages and, and women who are caught in just self, um, just medication and just selfishness. And there's men here who are caught in things, stuck in stuff. Lord, come move amongst us. Free us. Heal us, Lord. We pray for your power to come, that your righteous right hand would come and minister to this little body of believers. This morning, we surrender to you in the power. It's in your name we pray. Amen.